So what's next? Yeah, next is the Overnight Scape Central, but that's uh, the topic for this week's show. And at least thus far, we might get something sneaking in, but it looks like it's just Frank Edward Nora and myself. And I know, Frank, as much as I think and believe that I'm going through all these changes and shifts and my reality is being shaken to its core, which may or may not be so. I mean, this isn't a contest, really. But what I'm Frank is going through some really serious stuff with the, the passing of both of his parents in the last couple of years. And now he and his siblings are having to deal with an entire life that while, yes, it's your dad's, it's their life. I mean, it's going into minutia that one didn't even imagine. I'm going through the house has got to be both. It just, it, I can't imagine as it's going through. I, yes, you know your parents, and but now you're going through every drawer every closet, every box stowed away, and looking at these objects that just are somebody else's life and somebody you care about, and trying to relate all that in the middle of living, the, I mean, who, who of us in our day-to-day are ready to just take on and swallow an entire other full existence like that that is really and what happens after that what is next um things for all of us over the last few years especially i mean this is like we went through world war ii this has been an extended traumatic event for everybody whether you thrived, and some people actually did thrive through uh, what I am calling the uh, political and COVID era, where uh, where we've just become so focused on these things. We, I mean, normally we can take things we have no control over and kind of put them aside and acknowledge them and somehow amalgamate them and still go on with a semblance of our normal day-to-day life. But that was over. I mean, it, it wasn't long ago. There was, And still for some people, there's these masks and protocols. There's this really a sensitivity to people not necessarily agreeing with our political stance. I mean, people have always been, you know, you don't talk about religion and you don't talk about politics and everything will be fine. And, uh, yeah, somehow we forgot the politics part or it became so prevalent in the discourse day to day that we do and we see things in a different way, and we're more judgmental about it, perhaps. Anyways, what next? What will, I mean, in a few months, in a week, in a year, all of these things, where will all this bring us, 
and how will we respond to us and take it on? That was my thought and what I'm thinking as all of us. I mean, I, I don't know if you've listened to uh, Eddie's series as he is apparently examining events that have occurred to him in this same light, these changes in life, these changes in how we interact, this realizing I'm the, I, that, you know, the, the Asperger's thing, um, I sort of knew I had it, but I had no idea how profoundly it affected my interactions with people. And boy, that th this is a lesson I am still learning. Um, you, if you, and those, I, I, Frank and Denise, that is just such a beautiful thing that they are able to support one another in their ideas, their mindsets, and still be nuts about each other. This is, oh man, uh, anyhow. Uh, I'm just driveling along here, and by all means, if, uh, we will give you instructions on whatever topic we have for next week, which I'm keeping under my hat, and inviting you to do a follow-up on this subject, because it's just so... All of us, and I think everybody, is going through serious changes. Um, the, just the aging process. Oh, man. I, I just thought time sort of froze for a bunch of years. Maybe I was stoned. Oh, yeah, I'm still young and vital. And also, I live in a place where I'm surrounded by people who are much older than me. I mean, there are a lot of people in their 80s who I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm like, in certain ways, the young guy. And in my head, still think of myself or have thought of myself. I don't... Every day lately, I feel older and older. And that's not a bad thing. I just need to adjust to it, maybe. That Anyhow, now I am officially driveling and should hand the floor over, uh, at least for a bit, to Frank Edward Nora as we discuss what next on the Overnight Scape Central. So what's next, uh... Whoa, no. Next, I gotta go retrieve that uh, impromptu tinfoil ashtray that blew away in the wind. All right, it's been retrieved. I wasn't expecting that, but it makes sense, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep going through the house here. I'm at my parents' house here in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Um, my parents have passed away, and now my brother and I are going through the house every nook and cranny. I just went through two closets in the brown room, as we call it, or the TV room. And um, insanely, insane amounts of stuff in these closets. I mean, in, in wild. But some interest, mostly junk, but some interesting stuff. I mean, like a lot of LPs, like the the uh, the soundtrack to 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think I might take that one. I'm going to take a few LPs, not all of them. Just Just the best of the best. Uh, but also I found an old video camera, like that, that high 8 format with a couple tapes. So I got to see what's on those tapes. A lot of old cameras, the carousels, ton of slides and photos. Of course we have to take those. Oh my God, so much stuff. So much stuff. Too much stuff. 
between that and I, I still have my grandparents' slides, and I should just take them and take them somewhere to get them all transferred to digital. It's probably going to cost a few grand, but whatever. Whatever. Oh, God, so much stuff. At least the the junk is easy just to, you know, like whatever, I, whatever I'm finding, I'm just putting back in the closet. That's junk. And the estate sale people will take care of it. But interesting, interesting it was like a sketch pad and some uh, drawings of my brother and sister my mother made at some point. There's like inter- like a, a card, a, a birthday card for my parent or my mother or father. My my brother made with all these monsters. It's like several feet long. This giant greeting card. Really cool stuff. Some interesting stuff. But mostly junk. And like in a, there was this bin just filled with like uh, sheets and bed sheets and things. But at the very bottom was this met a, a wooden box that said keys. And it was all of my cousin Mary's keys from her life. Which, yeah, there's a lot of keys. Keys to locks that no longer exist. But you figure, like, until the very end, you just want to keep those keys. Because what What if? What if you... How would you even figure out what key goes to what? So, anyway. That's what's next for me today, is just continuing to go through this house. And the next step after that, you know, uh, once I, uh, once I've gone through all the rooms and just taken out the stuff that I feel, the photographs and, and videotapes or whatever, things that I, I feel are important to keep and not sell or, destroy, or, d- or discard. Then we're going to uh, employ a, a, an estate sale company that will also bring up dumpster, I'm assuming, and they will uh, sell and or clear out everything in the house, right? And then the house... So at that point, we better make sure we checked everything because at that point... Everything's going. Everything must go. Okay. And then it's time to sell the house, which apparently still a pretty good seller's market. And so hopefully within the next month or two, we can sell it. And then it's sad. This is the house I grew up in. But, you know, none of us kids, me, my brother or sister, are have any desire to try and retain this house as it does not, you know, particularly not something that would work for any of us. It's sad, but I'm sure someone else will love this house. It's a nice house. So that's what's next for this stuff. I've been dealing with this a long time. Once that's done, the the estate stuff is kind of kind of winding down. Yeah, this summer I've the very intense summer. So, what's next? So the, the, that was one of the four big things I've been dealing with this summer. So the the other thing is fish. The band fish, of course. I went to those seven night uh, uh, shows at Madison Square Garden. Amazing. There's a few more shows, uh, the 25th and 26th, or 24th and 25th. And then the few nights at Dick's out in uh, Colorado. But I'll be in Italy by the time we go there. And that'll be it for the summer tour for fish. Uh, then there, Yeah, then there's my trip to Italy. That's coming up next. Uh, been really planning for it a lot. Fairly complex trip, a lot of phases, uh, but really looking forward to it. I think we have it all pretty much, all the reservations, everything's set up. And, uh, yeah, and I just have to get, I have a little computer I bought to bring a little tiny, a little laptop, a smaller laptop to do the show from the road. 
So get that set up and pack and stuff. I, I'm sure there's a few more things we need to do, but that's coming up in a, a little more than two weeks now. And it's going to be a two-week trip to Italy. Pretty wild stuff. And I, again, I do plan on recording during the whole uh, adventure. Yes. Uh, so that's coming up next. And then, of course, here on the Overnightscape Underground, or Onsug Radio, as I've been calling it lately. What's next? Well, it, it has been a rather intense time. Um, I have really sort of, uh, you know, I'm very concerned with the identity of the project going forward. And I very much um, made a new, uh, you know, I chose Onsug Radio as the name to move forward, which it already was pretty much Onsug Radio. The choices were Onsug Radio, The Onsug, or The Overnightscape Underground. So, you know, I think the uh, I think Onsug Radio is just the right way to go, and I really like that, that logo that I made years ago that then I sort of found and really like it. I made the new book cover uh, for the book, right? The whole idea is the project is contained within this book uh, as, as a way of... Impl- of imbuing the project with a sense of permanence and a sense of uh, persistence. So a book very much as an object does persist more than most objects, right? But then also creating an artifact that would be an actual physical book that has all the information inside of it on a, on a memory chip of some sort, right? Ideally all sort of melded into the physicality of the book itself with the speakers and some sort of control system. So you can actually listen to the book, and then that same thing as a virtual form. So the really, the last couple of weeks, I've gone through an intense process of redesigning the cover with uh, black graphics on a uh, uh, on, on like a uh, an moonlight colored background. So slight yellowish gray kind of color, totally different direction than I um, was thought I would be going in with the cover. But I really like it how how it's come about. And then next, what's next for this project is um, putting together that uh, top level, right? The uh, the idea that there's a a broadcast level that is playing uh, clips from all the entire archive, right? And it's uh, kind of a um, something that you could just hit play and start listening to, and it would be com- composed of a number of segments that, in theory, could be played in any order. Right, because the hosters are patching into Onsug Radio from where they are and when they are. But I feel that something that is a bit more... I mean, we've done stuff like this here and there, but I think this, as far as m- meant to sort of establish the pattern for what the top-level broadcast should sound like, to, to do it manually, have hosts do it manually, which then could potentially be picked up by an AI in the future to sort of uh, generate essentially an unending amount of top-level broadcast. But uh, we need to sort of establish the form of it, right? Which essentially, you know, I created these, uh, split up the entire archive, which took like a month of computing time, into three-and-a-half-minute segments. And um, like 200 and 300,000 segments. I mean, it was insane. Um so I have re- I have only sort of touched the surface of that one, but that's really what's next for Onsug Radio, is creating this top level uh, style, which will consist of clips from shows in the archive, of which we're now over fourteen thousand hours, and so the idea is someone could listen to that as 
something to listen to, right? But then each of those clips suggests that you could go and explore and listen to that whole show those clips are from. You see what I'm saying? The idea is that you'll th- that the clips will be both a form of entertainment in themselves and then also an introduction to the deeper levels of of Onsug Radio. So that's kind of for me I've been focusing on these four overlapping areas of uh wow, there's a lot of people across the street. They must be having a little get together. Used to be my neighbors across the street, the kids growing up, that whole tragedy. I've told the story many times. These kids we Dawn and Anthony used to play with them. They're around our age and then Christmas 1999, Anthony comes down the stairs Christmas morning and shoots and kills his brother-in-law, Dawn's husband. Went on the run, got arrested, and by now is out on parole, because that was a long time ago now. I don't know if he had some kind of a mental illness defense or something. I mean, I don't know. I never heard why he did it or what the heck happened. But new people bought the house now, so I don't know if they, they know it was a murder house, but I don't know. It's probably better not to know it's a murder house, right? Probably better, yeah. But yeah, it's been a very intense time for me going through having all these different layers of things, you know. My father getting sick, passing away the estate, and the trip, the fish stuff, and of course the Onsug Radio stuff. Of all these things, I mean, uh, as time goes on, the... uh, Three of those things will kind of fade away, but Onsug Radio will be, as I intend, it will be persistent on into the future, whereas the rest of that stuff is just only what I talked about and preserved, and, and the Onsug Radio will, will be persistent. Everything else about those things will just fade into history. But I actually mentioned on my most recent episode, um, that would be a Convoy E-Crew, yes. I went to the stop by the cemetery the other day, Friday, today's Sunday, uh, to my parents' uh, gravesite. You know, they're buried together, and their cremains are t- in, in one plot. There's temporary markers up. Uh, their, their permanent markers are going to be uh, brass plaques uh, from the military. They're both veterans, so you get these brass plaques. And I actually prefer them I, to those vertical uh, gravestones or markers, whatever. I think the flat ones are more more subdued and, and nicer. Uh, but I, I did try to contact my parents psychically, which I will fully acknowledge. Uh, there's no way I can know exactly if there's any reality to it, though. It does certainly, to me, feel like something different than just imagining it, you know. Um, but I, I, so it's something I, I do. I don't do it all the time, but, you know, I, I try to reach out sometimes very hard to describe. I know in my, in my t- talks with many people, they don't have any, haven't, haven't had any psychic, exper- psychic experiences. Well, I've had quite a few. Um, not that I would consider it something I, I want to spend a lot of time on in my life, but it's kind of interesting, and if there's any reality to it, why not try? Well, obviously, in a limited sense, you know, trying to contact your parents who passed away, whatever, but Obviously, if, you, if you're using it to contact uh, unknown beings, that could be a little dangerous, but I try not to do that, certainly. Anyway, uh, uh, what, what's next after our life here, after we, our, our physical body passes away? What happens to us? 
and um, you know that's a big what's next, right? So I uh, I can just describe what my contact has been like. I mean, uh, when I, I I I kind of got the sense my parents are my mother and father are in very different places in the afterlife. I don't believe they're in the same place at all. Um, about two two and a half years ago, when my mother passed away. Almost immediately afterwards, I had a very strong vision of her entering the afterlife, which I've described on the show. And after that very strong vision, I, I, it was a very hard to... I was not really able to um, make any contact with her again. Like, I could sort of sense that she was out there, but there was really not um, much of a... much information. Which, not that it proves anything, but if it's all my imagination, why wouldn't I imagine that I was contacting her, you know? Um, so when I would reach out with my mind, I would get sort of a distant ping, but no information, right, passing back and forth. Whereas the initial vision was very, very, very vivid. Um, so I was at my father's uh, bedside at the, at the hospital a few months ago, and all of a sudden there was this blast of psychic uh, uh, communication from my mother that was just so strong. And I actually saw her like in in the other world that she's in now sitting at a table in a restaurant eating and and she was sort of curious what was going on with my father so she kind of reached out but I should I think that she uh did it perhaps too strong she didn't realize how strong she was sending the signal and so I saw in my mind's eye the scene of where she was which I don't think is 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 that amount of information transfer is is is, is not uh allowed or is not legal or whatever you want to say it's it's not meant to be transferred so much so i feel like maybe she almost got in trouble for clumsily having such a strong connection so a few weeks later and then after that nothing and it only lasted a few seconds but i saw uh, where she was and i got a good sense of her circumstance and everything um that she was kind of enjoying it wherever she was. It was a nice place. It was an interesting society she was living in. Uh, then a, a week or two later, maybe it was even a month later, I was here. I was walking in the living room, and I felt this very gentle touch of contact, as if she was being super careful. And apparently my father felt it around the same time as I did. This is when he was in the nursing facility. And then that was that, and that was it. Basically, that that was the only contacts I had with her. Um, my father, when he uh, it was because he sort of was entered a dying process. It took about three, three and a half days to go through, and while he was still actually breathing, but pretty much gone, I had a very strong vision of him uh, ent- entering the afterlife. But it was so different, so different than my mother's situation. It was a. Uh, it was like a. I, c- I can see it. It's almost like imagine like an old village, like but with like stone walls and like a stone gateway, cobblestone streets, all sort of shades of brown. The stone that it's all made out of. It's really specific, and I saw a few people there waiting for him. The only person I recognized was my aunt Joanne, my father's uh, aunt. My his my father's mother's sister. Joanne, who I did know, 
Um, and she has passed away. And uh, she was there along with a few other people that I didn't recognize at all. This is again, this is my in my mind's eye. But she was sort of looking down and kind of sad in a way, worried about something. And uh, I think that's where my father went with them. And in this, uh, the few subsequent times, subsequent times I, I, I contacted him, it was very much. Uh, always in this same place and they seem to be dealing with some sort of issue um, and he just would really not much contact us he's like I'm okay don't worry about me I'm fine it, this is before the cemetery the other day but I was really thinking about it like what could be the issue like what is going on there so it might I, I the thought occurred to me that maybe one of the other relatives, like my grandmother or my grandfather, were facing some sort of difficulties in the afterlife, and uh, the remaining uh, relatives that were available were, were, were sort of staying in this place to try to help them in some way. But there was definitely some sort of sadness or some sort of issue or some sort of... It's very... I, I got a sense of it... Uh, and it would it would make sense if say like my grandmother was having trouble and they were trying to help her right again it very unexpected these visions so with that background and again this is a big what's next i mean what happens after we die and and in this case if, if there's any truth to any of my visions it could be very different things that happened to you and perhaps related to who and what you were before you came here but anyway so I, I first tried reach. This was on set two days ago I, I, at the cemetery. I tried reaching out to my father, and pretty easily I I was able to contact, make a contact in that in that same place, with that sense of sadness and that sense of kind of something dealing with something that's kind of sad, like uh, a process. Again, if it was his mother, that was in a process trying to be helped that it may be taking a long time I don't know but I did make contact and it was really not really very um, rich contact but I, he, my father said I, I'm like how are you he's like I'm okay don't worry about me everything's fine he's like I'm glad to be out of there referring to this world that we're in uh, he's like I'm glad to be out of there and I got the sense it wasn't just necessarily because he was facing um, the uh, uh you know the discomforts of uh, of being sick towards the end of his life, but I think in general he was referring to this world that we're living in, which is very difficult to live in. Obviously, he's like uh, he's like, yeah, don't worry about me. I, I'm I'm fine. He's like, I worry about you because you're still living in that world. <laughs> you know. But again, if I was generating it in, out of my imagination, all of this stuff was very unexpected. But then. I tried contacting my mother, and uh, almost instantly my communication attempt was sort of intercepted, and I sort of saw the vision of this room. It was a room that was set up to intercept my psychic transmission, almost like the psychic equivalent of like an answering machine, because I think that that few second burst of psychic uh, information that I received from my mother a few months ago probably um, 
again, was considered, wherever she was, perhaps some kind of a violation or some sort of a, something that was bad. So she set up kind of an automatic uh, uh, something to sort of um, intercept any contact I was trying to make to her, to her. And the room, it was like a small room, like in an old house or something. Um, but it was the message was pretty clear that, you know, uh, probably better not to sort of try to make these direct connections anymore. Uh, and I understood. I mean, I, I, I understood, I think, that it's, you know, a way of showing me that uh, there's really not, perhaps not much to be gained from uh, trying to communicate. Now, I know this all sort of goes counter to, you know, like, your typical phony psychics who are who will tell you, oh, you know, your mother and father and all their relatives are all living in, in peace and harmony in heaven and everything's great. This just kind of, yeah, it, it seems that like you do continue on. It's just the circumstances can be very different. It was interesting because those, uh, the sorcerers, Q and Twyla, they, um, right, I know a lot of their work, and I did talk to them out in New Mexico uh, last year. Was that still last year? Yeah, it was 2022, right? A year and a half ago. I know they do a lot of work to kind of, that. Wh- what they said was that, like, yeah, you do continue on, but that if you're not prepared, you might kind of perish permanently in the afterworld, like, you know. Or, as I understand, as I would say, my theory is that, right, the system as, it, as it's set up, right, as a human being, we have, a, we have at least one spare body in the astral body, right? That is, when your physical body dies, you then... Uh, you don't transfer. You're already. You are already inhabiting your astral body. Even now, each of us is inhabiting our astral body. But the astral body is um, a copy of our body. But it's uh, uh, probably a few millimeters four-dimensionally away from this volume, right? So it's another three-dimensional volume that your spare body exists in, kind of overlapping you, right? This is just my theory based on a lot of other theories. Uh, so the idea is that, like, right now, you could actually see through the eyes of your astral body, hear through the ears of your astral body, but the ratio of your uh, physical eyes in this plane, in this volume, that is, to your astral eyes normally would be, like, 10,000 to 1, 100,000 to 1. So though you can, and I think that might be what, some of what we consider psychics, like seeing ghosts and stuff, is that you're able to access the senses of your astral body more than the average person, right? But the idea is that once your physical body passes away, then you are, while you are already inhabiting your astral body, right, you now no longer have the physical body, so the astral body now continues on. And you are very near to this. You're a few millimeters away from the this volume, but you're in a separate volume that's parallel to this volume, right? And um, so what happens to that body is now subject, it is actually a physical body that is subject to, um, um, I would say to some extent probably the same sort of uh, issues that a physical body could. So it's not going to last forever, and, and uh, you have to sort of continue on from there. 
So maybe what Kim and Twyla are talking about is, yes, the, that astral body, if you're completely lost, you may fall victim to predators or something out there if, if you don't have a plan and if you're not really uh, set up with what to do. As in, with both my parents, uh, with my mother, I saw this guy was waiting for her to really help her, to guide her, and it was her biological father, according to the vision, that, that none of us ever knew who he was, but we found out about him through 23andMe. He's a Jewish guy. That's why I am uh, a quarter uh, Jewish, because I found out on 23andMe my mother's actual father was Jewish. We never knew that. So in the vision, it was him helping her. She didn't even believe in the afterlife, so what I heard her say in my mind's ear was, are you kidding that there is an afterlife? She was expecting just emptiness, nothingness, I suppose. My father was met by his aunt. Um, someone was there to kind of help him. Uh, but my grandmother, my father's mother, Betty Nora, who I do have recordings of that are here in the archive, uh, when she passed away in 2007, at age 97, um, she had a hard time. She was stuck in the house. I guess there was no one to meet her, right? And so she was stuck in the house like as a ghost for months and months and months. And I was able, I mean, when I was in, in the presence of that ghost, I mean, I would, my whole body was uh, tingling like pins and needles, my my ears were itching, you know, which is a definitely a sign of, when your inner ears are like itching, that's definitely a sign of a, psych, of a being there, being there. And I was able to make contact with her, but she was just angry, confused, and not in a, not in a good place. And I said, you know, you can stay here, but eventually you have to move on. So that's why, and I don't, I don't really have a good sense of whatever happened to her in the afterlife. I didn't really get any more information after that she did actually break through into a dream I was having and expressed a concern of that my her two children were fighting over her estate which they were at the time when, when, in the middle of the night when I was dreaming about sitting on a toilet in the middle of a barn and then this uh, yam or sweet potato started ringing at like a phone and I was talking to her and she's like Frank Bobby's gonna kill you and I think she was trying to reach my father and how my father was at, uh, arguing with his sister Jackie, and they're recon- they were reconciled before my father passed away, and my aunt Jackie is st- still still around. I just saw her at the memorial a few weeks ago. Bobby is her son, so I think from the afterlife, my grandmother was aware of, the, of them having fights, and it was a big conflict, and luckily they did reconcile uh, years later. Um, but then she was kind of stuck in the house, so I don't know if... Right. If uh, so, in that case, her astral—that's her astral body—that is the ghost that is still there, and because each of us has an astral body, that's how we can, right? Generally, right, our physical body in this—the ghost, or the astral body—is not in this volume; it's in a parallel volume that's very close. That may be my theory. I don't know if anyone else really talks about that, but. Um, and still, and there is a connection between the two bodies, right? Uh, they're, they're connected in some way. Uh, there's an, there must be an aspect of human physiology that extends into the fourth dimension, which is not time. It's an actual spatial dimension. I do think that, and I know every time I talk about this topic, I mention it, but it, it, people have been uh, mentally conditioned to say the following phrase, 
the fourth dimension is time. Everyone I talk to about this, every single person says that. The fourth dimension is time. Like, no. Like, if you, you know, the idea is like if you were a, a two-dimensional being like in a flatland, like that book Flatland that changed my life when I read it when I was a kid by Edwin Abbott. It's from the 19th century. Um, so to a t- flat two-dimensional person, the third dimension is time because there's a series of, you might imagine a series of moments in two dimensions. If you overlap them, that's sort of like three dimensions. That would be time. But if someone in the, t- the second dimension said, oh, the third dimension is time, you'd be like, yeah, no, I'm living in the third dimension and it's it's a spatial, it's not time. Um, but yeah, so in that, in that case, she kind of didn't have any help or any kind of plan. And maybe what I perceived as far as um, the situation that they're all dealing with, maybe it is trying to help Betty Nora um, if, if she's uh, lost or something happened to her or something in the afterlife. I don't know. Yeah. But the idea would be that, uh, right, the traditions that talk about being reborn in heaven, right, could perhaps be in- interpreted as heaven being uh, uh, another world that is just another volume beyond the astral volume that's connected to this one, but there could be innumerable three-dimensional worlds like this one just stacked on top of each other. Each could only be a few millimeters apart, right? You could have many of these worlds, and that uh, in, a, in a nearby world, you could go there in your astral body. There would be actual physical portals, which would just be shunting points to get to other uh, 3D volumes in your astral body. And the idea is that in that other world, they would have a technology to clone you in a vat kind of thing, like we see so often in science fiction, clone you another body. And this actually was something that was in uh, the Roger Zelazny book, Lord of Light. They talked about this, how people could uh, were effectively immortal. Those that could afford it, they could just keep growing new bodies and going into the new body. So in this case, they could grow you a new body, and then your astral body could just sort of settle into it and reconnect with it and you would literally be reborn in heaven um, and it could still be you just sort of you know uh, you could sort of choose how old you would be and you would be able to retain your memories hopefully as there's a theory that memories are stored outside the body anyway and all you have are these keys or codes to access your memories in, in essentially the cosmic version of the cloud. Uh, but that also, right, so this being reborn as yourself, you can continue living in effectively an immortal state now because even, you could probably, I'm sure, design the clone not to age particularly, though I would imagine that still physical beings are still subject to disease and injury, etc. Um, but if anything happened to the body, you can just get another one, right? It's effectively immortal. Um, but it does seem that in other traditions they talk about reincarnation. So uh, either through choice or through, you know, they do talk about how you have to pass a certain threshold, a test of how, of your behavior, right? If you're a complete, utter scumbag, 
they might not want to have you be reborn to continue your scumbaggery in, in heaven or in that other world. So they might uh, suggest a, a reincarnation where um, you might imagine that if there's an astral body, then there could be perhaps another body, a cosmic body, you know, that that could then be detached and in, and then you could be attached to a, a new physical and astral body as a a baby is born in, in this world or some other world and, and incarnate and uh, live a life in, in, in one of these type of worlds, right? A mortal world where, where there is death, permadeath, you know, like, as from the video games, from the roguelikes. But obviously it's not permadeath. It's from our perspective here, when someone dies, we don't ever get to be around them anymore. But, right, until we move on, maybe we can be. Anyway, I'm thinking of all that in terms of uh, this would all be very much material and scientific in the way. It's not, there's nothing magical about this. It's just uh, as we understand physics, mechanics, engineering, right, and physical laws, um, all this stuff is possible without anything that would be known as magic or mysticism. So I, I think that, and of course... I can't know, but I'm just saying from all of the research I've done, all of my gut feelings and all of the perceived communications I've had, I, I do think this is something of, a, of the case, which sort of questions, do you need to uh, do preparations? I know religions uh, are very insistent on telling you, you need to prepare, you need, you know, like if you're Catholic, you need to, you need to get last rites, or if you're Christian, you have to state your following of Jesus, even if it's at the last moment, you know, you have to accept Jesus into your heart. And that would sort of uh, put you on a path in the afterlife. Though, in the case of, like, my mother, who was very much an atheist, you know, there was someone there to help her. Uh, my father, who also was not religious, but was a little more spiritual, did believe in the afterlife, because he had his own contacts with my mother here and there after she passed away. Um, he was met by some relatives, um, not the ones I would have expected, but... Uh, but some, what happened to my grandmother? Why was she, why was there no one to help her? She was not religious either, but she, she sort of viewed nature as a, a spiritual thing. And of course, uh, Q and Twyla, you know, the, the sorcerers, they have been, uh, they're saying they're, a lot of, a lot of their, their ritual work is, is to uh, help uh, with uh, their own afterlife and the afterlife of those that are, that are in their, in their group. Um, yeah, but I mean, to me, the idea that it's not just one size fits all, but it could be a number of different things that might happen kind of rings more true to me, in a way, in terms of what's next. Because uh, with my father, I, d I don't really get any sense of what what he was like before he came here. Um what's going on with him now other than what I've described. But my mother, I definitely got the sense that she was a certain type of spirit and came, incarnated here for a, life, a lifetime. And then uh, when she passed away and went back, she kind of was returning to a life she had previously had, right? That she kind of, uh, whatever she was beforehand, kind of, um, took the plunge to incarnate here and at the end she just went back to what she was you know what I mean beforehand 
And that sort of implies that the idea that there could be many different classifications of spirits that do incarnate into human flesh, you know, and it's not just one type of soul that's incarnating. Uh, and then, so, your circumstance in the afterlife is sort of uh, inf- influenced by sort of what, where and what you were before you came here, right? I often talk about this, uh, there's a video on YouTube, this woman, Dolores Cannon, who uh, talked about all this UFO stuff and everything and said that, uh, you, you know, this is a theme you hear a lot, that, that, there's, that the wor- world's going through a transformation and they asked for volunteers from across the multiverse to incarnate as humans uh, and to sort of help, be helpers and help the process along. And she said that a lot of beings did volunteer and that some of them were on spaceships and actually, this is what she said, put, went, were physically existent as a being on a spaceship and would go into a, like a hibernation pod of sorts and uh, and then sort of project down into Earth, be incarnated as a human baby, and then live a life here. And then once that life was over, they would just wake up in that pod and be back to their spaceship. And she said that a lot of them expressed uh, great... <laughs> that, they were, that they didn't know what they really signed up for and that life on Earth was much more difficult than they were expecting. And they, didn't, they would prefer to sort of... They would. They wouldn't. If they knew how bad it would be, they wouldn't have uh, agreed to do it. So, that's just another vector of saying, you know, sort of what you were before kind of informs what you are after. Um, but I mean, as far as reincarnation goes, I mean, I I definitely feel, especially when I went to Europe last time in uh, 2019, like a lot of weird feelings of past lives in those places. Uh, I guess the question is, you know, is it sort of, is it random or are you directing the process or is is it that we're, or maybe I'm looking at things in too linear of a sense, you know, that all of these existences could be co- coinciding in some ways. Anyway, what's next? How about what's next for our society? I, I know if you look at the news lately, the politics have just gone pretty out of whack and pretty haywire. Uh, it just seems like more of the same over and over again. Endless wars overseas, controversies with the politicians, people getting very engaged in a political philosophy or political party, where in the end it doesn't seem like any of the parties are really uh, that worthy of your devotion, though I know people get very hung up on the whole thing. Um so I would imagine what's next in that is just more of the same, you know. But I think that there's this, uh, what I talk about a lot is referring to the situation that we're in here, right? You might say that one of the hallmarks of the world we're living in, in the context of the theories I've been talking about, which are just theories, there's no proof to any of that, is that this world, there's an information blackout. That is, we don't know that we're part of this system of worlds and that we, you know, we have this astral body. Like, we don't know any of that stuff. As far as, like, as far as we know, you're born and then you die and then that's it. And You know what I mean? Like, and we don't know. We don't know about other worlds. We don't know where we came from. We have these elaborate 
uh, narratives that are presented to us uh, uh, s- in the name of uh, science of, you know, the universe began with this big explosion known as the Big Bang, and then stars started forming and planets started forming, and then on some planets they were the right ingredients for life to start developing and then eventually evolved into human beings, and, Right. So that gives kind of a, uh, you know, the people that seem smart, that seem to be authorities on things, are telling you this is what happened. And it, and it weaves this, this narrative that, that, there are, that there are no higher beings, there are no gods, there is no other world. Like, this is it. This is the only world. And they've been reinforcing the whole space thing and the whole, like, evolution thing over and over again to provide us, like, a, a, this plausible explanation of how we got here so that, right, I think the main thing is if we knew more about the actual situation, it would make us feel, it would annoy us. It would be like, what What the hell? We're like these, uh, the rejects of the cosmos, you know? <laughs> but the whole point of it is that there's a, there's, a, there's a certain unique quality to incarnating here and living a life here that you can't get anywhere else, right? And if the information were available, it would very much change that. The question is, right, should there should should they eventually let everyone know what's really going on here? And I think that uh, that's what's known as disclosure. <laughs> what's this? S- s- someone just waved at me or something. I don't know. I don't know who that is. They're stopping. I don't know. Are they going to talk to me? <laughs> that's weird. Uh, I don't know. Anyways. That's all I have to say. Hold on. We're going to see if they're going to want to talk to me. Okay, yeah, it was a guy that my father knew who I met at the uh, memorial a few weeks ago. And he was inter- he, he wanted to take a look at there's some uh, lawnmowers and tractors and stuff in the shed out back. He wanted to take a look at that. So I showed it to him. Anyways, that's the story about what's next back to you pq yeah that well that's the big what's next i mean yes but the the i really wonder how we could present this huge slab like the fourteen thousand hours of audio in any way that would appear approachable to anybody besides somebody obsessive but i guess you need to be obsessive to you know, the audio I listen to, I suppose, from an outside point of view, would tend to be obsessive in its own way. But all of this variety, and yet it all fits into this memorializing. And I'm, I'm not even sure who I'm memorializing all this for. I mean, at first I thought it would be something, you know, when you start, this is something I'd reference and listen back and what I was like in, you know, 2015. But it's not just a brief. I mean, it isn't even like a journal where you could read back and flip the pages so conveniently. It's all of these audio files, and they're all so long, and there's no, especially with me, there's no actual focus. It's all willy-nilly whatever is peeling off the top of my head and then digressing off of that. I mean, it's like the closets that Frank is going through and somebody else's 
like what they thought they would keep. And he said, oh, there's a bunch of junk, but then there's, and that bunch of junk at some point had enough meaning to somebody that they didn't discard it. And we save this stuff. And who, you know, after we go, who's going to go through it and appreciate it, save it, sell it? Or is it just all going to go in one of those big metal containers and roll out to the landfill, which it happens a lot. Um, they're really doing the do because in a lot of cases, I mean, I live in a town where there are a lot of retirees and they buy a house and they live there 10, 15 years and they pass and then their children come and they, what, they have a week? two weeks and they're not going through everything they want to get everything out of that house settle everything sell it um there's the sentimentality that we develop around our own things and the memories attached to them is its own study in what is humanity in a lot of ways it's it's really a lot more complicated than I like to put it or think about it or, or choose to see it, it would seem. But all that aside, this was an interesting uh, Overnightscape Central. I hope you got something out of it, uh, enjoyed it. Next week, let's talk about next week, and you're more than welcome to follow up and even... You know, comment. I mean, that's the thing. We can, even though it's not live, we can have a dialogue here. And I hope we do. And uh, we do have to get this show. It's already a day late. Up and out to you so you know what we're doing here next week. And next week we're just shifting over to something a lot, well, maybe a lot simpler. Maybe not. Because uh, we're going to talk about cars. Have we talked about cars before? Maybe. I, I I don't remember, but there's a lot of things I don't remember, and we've done so many of these gatherings together here, and we have an exit ramp on Thursday night, just in case you hear this before then. Um, I hope to catch you there. Uh, I plan on being there. We will see. I, I, I really try to stop in there and... Uh, check everybody out in that realm, that live talk realm. And someday I'd like to do uh, my own sort of uh, show like that, at least once in a while, where we can all speak in real time. But uh, let's get to next week. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about cars, and the email address for that is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Send me an audio file, type something up, and I will read it on your behalf, uh, however you'd like to communicate. Take a minute, take an hour, uh, you, even longer. We are here to facilitate your expression, uh, at least I hope. And we want to know about you and how you feel and what you think, even what you think about the drivel that I kick out here. Um... The deadline for this show is next Monday, the 21st of August, 2013. 
get me your file by the evening time, mountain time in the U.S. Um, and uh, worst case scenario, you're late and we just kick it into the next show. That seems to be the policy. And uh, join us. That's really the important thing. Once again, the email address, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Frank and I. And uh, join us both with your ears and with your ideas next week right here. And until next we meet, maybe at the exit ramp, set the controls for the heart of the fun.